0: Hey guys, welcome to the hashtag Get Real Woke podcast. I'm your host, Frederick D. Scott. I'm a private equity investor, a business consultant, philanthropist, author, and contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine. I have over 15 years of experience in the finance industry, and I used to own an investment banking and advisory firm. Currently, I hold designations as a financial modeling and valuation analyst capital markets and securities analyst, commercial banking and credit analyst. And I also have a diploma in Islamic finance. And today, y'all today is hashtag for the free Friday. This is the time where I come on every week and teach you the things that I think you need to know step by step in an easy to understand format to help you develop and become and grow into the things that you want to to grow into and accomplish the things that you want to accomplish in your personal and professional life as it relates to financial literacy and business development now with that said before i jump into today's topic i need everybody to hit that like button hit the subscribe button hit the bell notification definitely leave me a comment at the bottom of this video to let me know what you think yo if you want an android phone i need you to hit that join button and if you want an iphone i need you to click the link in the description or the link that's going to be pinned in the comments at the bottom of this video so you can become a member of the hashtag real Woke live chat community and become eligible to participate in the hashtag learn to earn cash giveaway where I am giving away a minimum of $1,000 every single month live right here on the hashtag get real Woke podcast. And here's a hint. Yo, check this out. I have not given away thousand dollars yet this month, but of course today is the 16th. So, you know, for sure. I'm going to be giving it away real soon. So definitely hit the link and join the hashtag RealWokeLiveChat community so you can be eligible to participate. All right, let's get started. So today we are going to continue uh, the series that I'm doing on retail investing tips. So this is part two of that series. And today we are going to be covering uh, educational investment accounts, And investment accounts that you can get into uh, specifically for your children. So, I wanna talk about that today. I don't think that this is gonna be a really long video, uh, but we're gonna see, right? So, let's get on, get started. Okay, so first of all, you know, I wanna pick up where we left off. I wanna talk about educational investment accounts. Now, these are the type of accounts that you would be using uh, or that you would be setting up to begin to save for future educational expenses most people set these kind of accounts up for their children right so it's a great way to save for your children uh, and 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 save for college specifically for your children so the first account i want to talk about and y'all know me you know i've I've been making these long outlines right to make sure i stay on topic so y'all work with me when i look away from the camera because you know i mean that's me reading the outline but Uh, Okay, so I want to start off with what's called a 529 savings plan. And what is a 529 savings plan? Okay, so it's a type of saving and investment account in which money grows tax free, as long as the withdrawals are for qualified educational expenses. Now, The 529 uh, college savings plan or the 529 savings plan is actually named. The reason why they say 529 is it's actually named after a a section of the IRS code that makes this kind of savings account possible and outlines the different uh, uh, tax rules and regulations surrounding uh, 529 savings plans. Now, there are two types of 529 savings plans. The first one and the more common one, this is the one that most people use, is what's called the 529 College Savings Plan. And what it is is, it's the most, first of all, it's the most common type of college savings plan. Investments grow tax-free and can be withdrawn tax-free for educational expenses, such as tuition, room and board, and required textbooks. So this is, and, and I want you to know that I do use 529 uh, college savings plans for my children. Uh, and what I like about them is the fact that uh, it is definitely a, a good way to, to save for college for your kids and, and give them the access to be able to access that money uh, for qualified educational expenses uh, tax-free. So I do like that. Right. So I I like that for them. And, you know, so that that was a great idea for me. So when my children are born, I established 529 college savings plans for them. So, you know, that uh, is definitely something when you're thinking about, you know, saving, investing and things you can do for your kids to set your kids up in a position to, you know, do go further than you did and have better access to opportunities than you did one of the one of the tools that you can use is a 529 college savings plan now the second uh type of 529 plan is what's called a 529 prepaid plan and what it does is it lets you prepay part or all of an in-state public tuition and by doing that what you do is lock in today's rate right so let me explain what i mean by that so okay Let's say that you have the goal for your child to go to a state public school here in New York. That would be like a state university in New York or a city university of New York, right? So we have CUNY and SUNY schools here and they're public schools right in this state. And so if I wanted to, what I could do is set up a 529 prepaid plan. And by doing that, I could prepay or put in and make a contribution to the plan towards the cost of that tuition. And by doing that, I get to lock in the tuition rate that is being charged at the time that I make the contribution uh, for an in-state public university. Now, the great thing about that is the fact that you know, if rates go up over time, let's say that by the time my kids are 18, so let's say going to a public university for a year is five grand today. And let's say that by the time my kids turn 18 and they're ready to go off to college, let's say that the cost of that 520 or that uh, that college tuition has gone up to 10 grand. Well, that doesn't really affect me. I get, I, I get to pay the five grand because I've already locked in a rate because I've prepaid the tuition, right? So that is a great way if you're aiming or the goal is to put your kids in a, a state public school. Uh, that's a good way to lock in the rate. Now, I want to say that this doesn't work for private schools, right? So you can't, you know, a 529 prepaid plan is is for public tuition only. It's not for private schools. So this would not be applicable to like a Harvard a Stanford or Yale or anything like that. So just kind of bear that in mind when you're thinking about uh, the potential use of a 529 uh, prepaid plan. Now, here's the thing. So 529 plans are typically operated by the state, which makes searching for the best option fairly easy to do. Uh, If your state offers a tax deduction for contributing, you'll likely get the most uh, benefit for your contribution uh, by contributing to its plan. So 529 college savings plans generally run by the state, right? So, you know, different states have 529 college savings plans and 529 prepaid plans that they offer. And so they're usually what we call the plan sponsor. And and so what some states do is at the state level, they'll allow you to take a deduction uh, for your contribution. Some states allow that. And if that is the case then it definitely does make sense to contribute to the state's uh, 529 college savings plan if you happen to be in a state that allows a tax deduction uh, at the state level. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. You don't actually have to contribute uh, to your state's plan. Uh, In reality, you're free to choose any plan you'd like. So the truth is, it's smart to compare your options, right? So just because let's say I live in the state of New York doesn't mean I can't contribute to a college savings plan uh, in the state of Georgia, right? And if I feel like, you know, my child is gonna go to a school in Georgia, let's say I'm thinking about potentially gearing them towards an HBCU like Morehouse or Spelman, right? Which I'm sorry, that doesn't even count because those are private institutions. So let me not even use Morehouse and Spelman as an example, they're private institutions. So that being the case, this wouldn't even apply. Now, 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 it wouldn't apply to the 529 prepaid plan. The 529 college savings plan, this does apply. So let's say that, like, I, I want to gear my kids to go to, like, let's say, um, Morehouse or, or Spelman, right? And, you know, let's say that, you know, I feel like, okay, the 529 plans that are sponsored by the state of Georgia... Are better than the 529 plans being sponsored by the state of New York. What I'll do is set up a 529 plan in the state of Georgia for the benefit of of my children or my child, whichever one I'm setting up the plan for, right? And I'll contribute to that because I'm gearing them to go to a school there anyway. And I feel like that 529 plan that they have in that state is better than the 529 plan that I have Uh, in the state of New York. So you do have options, right? You're not obligated to contribute to your state's 529 plan just because you live in that state. So understand that, right? So I wanted to put that out there so you kind of understand that as well. Now, outside of 529 plans for saving for education, another type of plan that you can set up is what's called a Coverdale Education Savings Account. And what a Coverdale Education Savings Account is, it works very similar to a 529 plans. The only difference really is that it has to be set up, it has to be established, and you have to contribute to that That ESA, is what we call an ESA, right? So Coverdale Education Savings Plans for short is ESA, right? Education Savings Plan. Now, the key here is that it's got to be set up and you got to contribute to it before the, the beneficiary turns 18 right? And the great thing about Culverdale education savings account is that they can be used for college, elementary, and secondary educational expenses. So I've actually used Culverdale ESA. And, and what I like about the Culverdale, what I used it for, uh, actually was because, you know, my kids are in private schools. And so what I used Culverdale for, uh, years ago, I set them up to fund private school education for my children. So I was putting in chunks of money into the ESA periodically to be able to fund their education and collect and reap a bit of a return uh, on the capital. So that, was, so that was the goal, right? So that for me is how I use Coverdale ESA, right? But there are a lot of different ways to use Coverdale ESA and you can use a Coverdale ESA uh, specifically to set money aside for college, but understand that they work very similar to 529 plans and with 529 plans, and which is really the only difference, there's a little bit more flexibility uh, as far as, you know, some of the uh, potential benefits that you get from it. So I just wanted to share that with you. Now, the key, now the, the cool thing about uh, college savings plans is that It doesn't matter if the person that is the beneficiary is a relative or not. It doesn't matter if the person contributing to the plan is a relative or not. Anyone can contribute to the plan on behalf of the beneficiary and anyone can be named a beneficiary on the account as long as it is used for qualified educational expenses. Right. So you can set up a 529 plan or a Culverdale ESA for anyone for the purpose of colleges. Now, of course, with an ESA, you have to set it up before they're 18, but you don't necessarily have to be related to them to set one up, Uh, nor uh, do you have to be related to them to make a contribution to it. So that's really cool, right? So if you got, you know, uh, a godchild or something like that, that you, you know, want to set up a a college savings plan for to assist the family or the parents uh, in that college educational endeavor, that's very much something you can do and and something to consider. That is definitely an option. Now, one of the things I want to make sure and, 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 and make clear to you so you understand is this, that contributions to 529s and ESAs are not tax deductible. Though you might get a state tax uh, tax deduction on 529 contributions. So it is possible in certain states to get a tax deduction at the state level. But understand that contributions at the federal level to educational savings plans are not tax deductible. So you are putting in after tax dollars, you are contributing after tax dollars. So that's very important to know and very important to understand. Now let's move on to, cause that covers that, that sums up educational accounts, right? But now let's set a, let's talk about investment accounts for kids, right? So you might decide that, Hey, you know what? I want to set up an investment account, but I want to do it for my kids, right? I want to set something up for them that they'll have the ability to access, uh, when they turn the age of 18. Okay. So what are the types of investment accounts available for kids? So let's talk about that, right? So first of all, you have what are called custodial brokerage accounts, right? And what is a custodial brokerage account? So a custodial brokerage account works like this. The investment account is set up for a minor With money that is gifted to the child an adult, which is also known as the custodian maintains account control and transfers assets to the child when he or she reaches the age of majority. So that's how custodial brokerage accounts work in an overall. But there really are only two types of of custodial brokerage accounts, like custodial standard type brokerage accounts that are available uh, uh, in a custodial capacity for the benefit of children. So the first one is the Uniform Gifts to Minors Act account, or what we call as a UTMA or UTMA account, right? So uh, I'm sorry, the UGMA account. I said UTMA. We're gonna get to UTM next, right? But the Uniform Gifts to Minors Act account is also known as a UGMA account or an UGMA account. UGMA. Now, how does it work? Let's cover some of the points, uh, the highlight points that are important to understand about UGMA accounts. So number one, UGMA assets can be used for just about any expense that benefits the minor, right? Because remember it's a, it's a standard brokerage account. It's just for the benefit of a child. So it's like a standard brokerage account. So the assets can be used that. And when I say assets, I mean, anything that's owned or, uh, in that account or owned by that account, uh, can be used for just about any expenses that benefit the minor. Now. There are no withdrawal penalties, right? So, there are no withdrawal penalties for taking out money out of an UTMA account, or I'm sorry, UGMA account. So, there are no withdrawal penalties for that. Now, UGMA assets count as assets of the minor when they apply for federal financial aid, which can decrease their eligibility. This part is really important and it's something that you really need to understand, right? Uh, When you're when you're starting to think about like estate planning, because when you start setting up these kind of accounts, you're really starting to think about estate planning and long range planning for the benefit of your children. Right. And one of the things you have to understand about having an UGMA account or an UTMA account, what you kind of have to understand about that is that when they reach the age of majority or when they graduate uh, from high school and they're looking at colleges, if they're going to apply for financial aid, That account, the assets in that account, because they technically own the assets as the beneficiary, those assets are going to be counted towards their financial aid application. So those assets would have to be disclosed on their FAFSA form. And that could potentially, depending on the the amount of assets, the value of the assets uh, in that account, could potentially uh, harm their eligibility uh, for financial aid. So, you know, you have to bear that in mind as well. So that's really something important that you need to know about these types of accounts. Now, here's the other thing. Miners are granted full access to the account once they reach the age of majority and they can use the funds for anything. So if this was something that you were setting up, And you are like, hey, this is something I'm going to set up so that way when I pass away, this will be money for them available. Understand that that is not the type of account that you would use for something like that. Because the moment they reach the age of majority, which in most states is 18, once they reach the age of majority, those assets automatically transfer to them. they have the right to access those assets and use those assets for whatever they see fit the moment they become the age of majority. So bear that in mind as well. The next thing is, contributions to UGMAs are made with after tax dollars. Donors don't generally get a tax deduction for this. So understand that you know, the money that you're putting in that you're contributing to an UGMA account, is after tax dollars. And what that means is that you're not going to get a tax deduction. There's no federal tax deduction that I'm aware of uh, that you can get for contributing to an UGMA account on behalf of your children. So bear that in mind as well. Now, here's the other thing for for okay, so for individuals, right? you can contribute up to $15,000 if you are an individual and up to $30,000 if you're a married couple. And when you contribute that, the contributed the contribution can be free of what's called a gift tax, right? And that's as of 20, 2020 and 21, 2021, the maximum amount that you contribute that you can contribute that and not have to pay a gift tax for, right? It's $15,000 as an individual and $30,000 as, as a married couple. So you can contribute those threshold dollar amounts free of a gift tax. Cause generally when you gift money, you're subject to a gift tax. And so, you know, understand that. First of all, when you gift money, generally you're subject to a gift tax. But there are allowances in the tax codes and tax regulations to allow a certain dollar amount up to a certain dollar amount threshold that you can contribute uh, uh, and gift to, uh, to a minor or gift to someone else without having to be subject to the gift tax. And for other accounts, it's $15,000 for individuals and $30,000 for married couples. So I wanted to cover that as well. Now, here's the other thing. For federal tax purposes, the minor or beneficiary is considered the owner of all assets in the UGMA account, right? And the income they generate, but these account earnings can be taxed either to the child or the parent. Reporting requirements depend on the amount of income the account generates and the beneficiary's age. And here's the other thing, under certain circumstances, parents can elect to report their children's UGMA accounts on their own tax returns, which allows them to take advantage of the, what is known as the kiddie tax or what is, you know, officially titled the tax on child investments and other unearned income. So it is possible And, and we're going to talk about the, why you need a tax professional. We're going to talk about that in a second, but it is possible to, to report the UGMA account under certain circumstances, uh, on the parent's tax return to be able to take advantage of what's known as the kiddie tax. Right. But again, that's where a tax professional comes in because everybody's circumstances is different. And we're going to get to that in a second. Now, the other thing is that for tax purposes, an UGMA affects a donor's lifetime giving limit, right? So for tax purposes, an UGMA account affects a donor's lifetime gifting limit. Yes, there is a lifetime gifting limit for tax purposes. What is the lifetime gifting limit? As of 2021, it's 11.7 million dollars, and that's up actually from 11.58 million dollars, which is what it used to be before the uh, the uh, gift limit was increased. Now, should a donor acting as a custodian die before the custodial property is transferred to the minor, the entire custodial property is included in the donor's taxable estate. So that is the other thing about UGMA accounts, right? When you are a donor, if you die before that, that UGMA account, before that child reaches the age of majority and that UGMA account transfers officially to that child, right, where you're no longer the custodian, if you die before that happens, it is counted that UGMA, ass- those UGMA assets, the assets in that UGMA account are going to be a part of your taxable estate upon death. Excuse me. So do bear that in mind, bear that in mind. That's important to understand, right? Now let's talk about the uniform transfer to minors act account, the UTMA account. So here's the thing, right? UTMA and UGMA are used interchangeably, right? And for the most part, as far as the rules, regulations, and things of that nature, for the most part, they're exactly the same. But there is a key distinction. So when I talk about UGMA accounts, I'm also talking about UTMA accounts overall. So everything I've talked about regarding the UGMA account applies to the UTMA account as well. But there are some key distinctions, and that's what I want to focus on when we talk about this UTMA account. So here we go. Utma accounts, the Uniform Transfer to minors Act account, the UTMA account or UTMA account, right? The UTMA account contain can contain any kind of intangible or and or let's say and or tangible assets, including real estate works of art and intellectual property however with ugma accounts it's not the same right so with ugma accounts they are limited to financial assets i.e cash stocks bonds and insurance products right So that is the key difference between UTMA and UGMA. You have more flexibility in the types of assets that you can hold in an UTMA account than you do in an UGMA account. So I want you to be aware of that difference as well. Now, here's the cool thing, right? As of 2020, all states permit UGMA accounts. That's the great news. And all states except Vermont. And South Carolina permit UTMA accounts. So pretty much if you live in every state in the United States, with the exception of South Carolina and Vermont, you have access to both UGMA and UTMA. However, if you live in Vermont or South Carolina, you only have access to the UGMA account, right? So that's something else that you need to know. But if you're just looking at an UGMA account and you're only interested in an UGMA account, great news is you can do that anywhere in the United States. So that's always awesome. Now, the last thing I wanna talk about uh, as it relates to the different types of accounts that are available are custodial IRAs, right? So remember if you watched uh, uh, Retail Investing Tips part one, right? Or retail investing part one. uh, You remember we talked about traditional and Roth IRAs. Well, guess what? Those are capable and you can set those up for children as well. It's called a custodial IRA or individual retirement account. If a child has earned income, they are eligible to contribute to a Roth or traditional IRA. Key here is if they have earned income. But here's the cool thing about that. The account is set up and maintained by an adult who transfers it to the child when they reach the age of majority. Now understand that the same rules apply for custodial IRAs as they do for traditional and Roth IRAs. They are traditional or Roth IRAs. They just have a custodian. Managing the account until the child becomes the age of majority. So the same rules that would apply to a Roth, a a, a standard regular Roth IRA, are the same rules that apply to a custodial Roth IRA, and the same rules that apply for a traditional IRA are the same rules that are going to apply for a custodial Roth uh, or custodial traditional IRA. So bear that in mind. The rules are not different just because it's set up for the benefit of a child. No, the rules are still the same, but it can be set up for a child for the child's benefit if the child has earned income. And let's talk about what earned income is. Earned income can come from anything, to be honest with you, uh, including babysitting. So here's some examples like babysitting and informal lawn mowing, mowing business or social media sponsorship. You know, there are some kids out there that have really big social media followings. Uh, they're monetized. They're making money through ad revenue and perks and benefits and all of those great, wonderful things. That's earned income. And that earned income can be contributed to contributed to a custodial Roth or custodial traditional IRA. The key though is here's the key as long as it is reported to the IRS. So that earned income had better have been reported to the IRS. You can't contribute it if it hasn't been reported, right? So you can't take under the table money and think you're going to contribute it to an IRA. No, any money contributed to that custodial IRA From the earned income of that child must be reported to the IRS. Don't get it twisted. The IRS gets their money every time. Just do it the right way. Report the income. Now, so that covers what I wanted to cover regarding the remainder of accounts that I wanted to talk to you guys about. But. I want to point out something. So, so that, that, that covered that part, but I do want to move into something else that I I think is very important. Do you need a financial advisor and tax advisor? In my opinion, the short answer is yes. Why? It's very simple, right? If you've watched retail investing tips, part one, and you're watching this video right now, what you've probably gathered. Is that there are a number of different types of accounts that can be used and you've probably already realized as well that you're probably going to have to take advantage of a few different types of accounts to be able to truly accomplish, uh, the, the long-term retirement, legacy building, wealth growth, whatever you want to call it, that you are trying to accomplish. And what you've also learned, and I hope you've gathered from watching these first two videos, is that there are also a lot of tax considerations that go into setting up and developing the proper estate planning methodologies and techniques that will work best for you and your child's situation in the future. And so because of that, right, it is imperative in my mind that you're working with a financial advisor, a competent, credible, licensed, respected, well peer reviewed, and customer reviewed uh, financial advisor and tax advisor. Because everybody's tax situations and financial situations are different. Moreover, everybody's long term goals and what they're trying to accomplish, uh, for their family is different as well. And so you need people that are credible, licensed, and competent to be able to help you through your specific situation and help you set up the types of accounts that you'll need that will be beneficial from you for you from a tax standpoint today and from a tax standpoint long term. And in order to do that, please understand that there are tons of tax codes, tons of, of regulations that you have to know and understand and the average person just isn't going to be able to consume that amount of, 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 reading and, 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 you know, regulation, but moreover, interpreting that legislation and those rules, those laws, uh, those codes properly to be able to make sure that what you're doing is on the, not only on the right side of the law, but more importantly, uh, going to be the best thing for your specific financial situation, uh, is, is very important. And you can make missteps, uh, if you don't have qualified help. So I do recommend that when you are considering these types of things that you are talking to a, a, a reputable, creditable, licensed financial advisor and tax advisor, and I'm comfortable enough at this point, and confident enough uh, in this person enough at this point from what I've seen to say that if you are on the beginning journey uh, of this process of of starting to consider wealth planning steps and 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 you know uh, the different types of accounts that you can take advantage of to be able to accomplish those wealth planning and estate planning goals, I think that. You know and a lot of you guys that that watch my videos know who he is already for those of you who don't go check out pocket watching with jt one thing i can say about pocket watching with jt from watching enough of his content is that number one he's passionate about what he does number two he takes what he does very seriously number three he is licensed right number four uh, he understands the weight and gravity of what it means to be a financial advisor and a tax advisor, and he takes that that obligation, that responsibility, and that fiduciary uh, obligation very, very seriously. And he's not going to cut corners or take chances that are is going to risk uh, his licensing, his livelihood, and you know his his credibility. And so because of that, I feel confident enough to say that if you guys are considering these types of things, I would definitely recommend that you reach out to Jason Thornton over at Pocket Watching with JT and engage him, right? He he is a brother, he's of our community, he's credible, and more importantly, right, he's cost effective, right? He understands our community circumstances. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that his rates are reasonable enough to where the average person can be able to engage him in a conversation uh, and a constructive dialogue to get the assistance necessary in building the type of uh uh wealth strategy that is most effective for your tax situation. So definitely check him out. Uh now, I and I'll and I'll be honest with you, right? And I and I wanna say this too. I wanna say this thing really quickly as well you know, I've been doing what I do for 15 years. Um, I've been in the finance industry for 15 years. Um, I used to own an investment banking and advisory firm, as you've already heard. Um, and even I have a wealth management team, right? Because it is impossible for me to accomplish the things I want to accomplish. And, and, you know, make the kind of impact i want to make and do all the different things that i do if i don't have help managing our family's uh, assets and our family's portfolio right so you know as the ceo of our family office and this is why we did structure a single family office so that way we could bring in a team you know to help me manage our assets right and 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 do port- and work with me on portfolio allocation um, you know, the things I focus on for our, our, our family trust is I focus on our private equity plays, our structured financial product investments, uh, our cryptocurrency plays, and and our real estate plays. But as far as, you know, our day to day management of different asset classes and additional asset classes that we're invested in, I mean, we have a wealth management team for that. Um, because, you know. First of all, you know, we, we have, we have tax advisors. We use a big firm, we use a big four accounting firm, um, because you know, it's very complex, you know, like the more one thing you'll learn is that the more money you make, the more money you have, uh, the more complex, uh, your tax situation becomes your portfolio allocation strategy becomes, especially, uh, if you're like us, we have investments, not only in the United States, but we have uh, investments overseas as well, and so you know there are a lot of complexities uh, tax wise and and portfolio allocation wise that we have to consider. And so even I, with fifteen years of experience, was smart enough to go. Bring in a qualified, competent wealth management team to help me do what's in the best interest of the family trust. Because at the end of the day, the beneficiaries of that family trust are my children, right? So if I make mistakes, it doesn't only affect me today, but it's going to affect my children in the long term. And that's the kind of mentality that you've got to have when you begin to start setting up these types of things, right? You got to think about the long term and make sure that you're making the best decisions that you possibly can. For the long-term future uh, of your children, and so that requires bringing in competent, qualified people to assist you and guide you in doing that. Right. Lastly, lastly, I want to say this, and I think this is very important. You know, there are a lot of people in our community that use these key buzzwords here. You know, I'm a help. I'm gonna teach you how to build wealth. You know, we're going to build a legacy for you. You know, we're going to help you build a legacy for your children and all of that. And, you know, some of them go as far as to use the Bible and use God and religion as a way to try to get y'all to do something with them, which is, and they like to use the thing, you know, the Bible says that we got to leave an inheritance for our children's children. And so we teach you how to do it. Let me stop and tell you something very real, right? Uh, As we continue down this journey you know, you're going to learn a lot of different things, but nobody can make you a millionaire unless they're going to reach into their pocket and wire you a million dollars right out of their bank account into yours. Nobody makes you a millionaire. Yes. Do you have help along the way getting there? Absolutely. Nobody gets very far by themselves, but the truth of the situation is nobody can make you a millionaire. You make you a millionaire. It's your choices, your discipline, your strategies, The strategies that you employ from competent, credible people that help you get there, right? But you, first and foremost, are the the pioneer of, of, of your wealth building. There is no one single course that you can buy that is going to teach you everything you need to know to build wealth. There are a number of things that go into building wealth. And so there is no one course That is going to teach you how to do that. So, and most of the people selling these courses, unfortunately don't have the experience, the credentials, the knowledge, the track record to even be selling you these courses anyway. So as I've always told you, and I will tell you again, please do not let social media cost you everything that you've worked so hard for. The amount of subscribers a person has, the amount of followers the person has, the amount of platforms and podcasts that a person appears on, those are not the things that make them credible, okay? Do your due diligence. Do your homework. You know, uh, I'm always going to harp on this. I'm always going to say this. Be careful because at the end of the day, if you make the wrong choices or give your money to the wrong person by the wrong course, take advice from the wrong person who's not credible, who's not licensed, who doesn't have the experience, it's you that's going to get hurt at the end of the day. It's your family that's going to get hurt at the end of the day. It's your money that's going to be lost at the end of the day. And you're going to have less of an opportunity to put your children in a situation that is going to give them access to, to more opportunities and benefits than you had. So always keep that in mind. No one can protect your money better than you can, but the only way you're going to be able to protect your money properly is if you are armed with the tools, the knowledge, and the resources necessary to be able to be more discerning of the people that you allow into your life, allow into your circles, especially when it comes to finance matters and business matters. Uh, Especially when those matters uh, cost you an exorbitant amount of money to be able to, to participate in. So guys, be careful, okay? So that's all I had to say today. That's all I had to offer. Hey, listen, I hope you guys enjoy the content. I hope you guys learned something. I hope that this is another episode that you can learn, benefit, and grow from. Hey, listen, as always, I appreciate all of you guys. Hey, listen, like my channel is over 2,300. The hashtag Get Real Woke podcast channel at this point, to be honest with you, is over 2,300 subscribers. And, you know, there's been a market uptake in the last week in subscribers. So welcome to all my new subscribers. Thank you guys for all of your support because it's because of you guys that the channel is growing at the rate that it's going. Uh, Let's go ahead and keep that same energy. For those of you who are watching and haven't subscribed yet, if this is your first time here, go ahead and hit that like button. Definitely hit that subscribe button. Hit the bell notification so you know when your boy is popping up again with another episode. Definitely leave me a comment at the bottom of this video to let me know what you think and provide feedback. I always appreciate the feedback and I try to respond to as many of the comments as I can. Uh, Lastly, if you are an Android user, yo, hit that join button. If you are an iPhone user, yo, hit the link in the description or hit the link that's going to be pinned in the comments at the bottom of this video. So you can join the hashtag Real Woke Live Chat community, show your support, you know, because I always appreciate support. And most importantly, you can be eligible to participate in the hashtag LearnToEarnCash giveaway, where I am giving away a minimum of $1,000 every single month right here live on the hashtag get Real Woke podcast all right y'all so again i appreciate y'all thank you for the support and the love let's keep that energy going and until the next hashtag for the free friday i'm out